The title of my message today is called Perception versus Reality. Perception versus reality. And there's a lot of talk about what perception and reality are. There's um, different marketing concepts that says whatever people perceive your brand or your reputation of, it doesn't matter what you're trying to say. How they perceive it, that's the reality of it. Some people say that there is no true reality. That because each and every one of us perceives things different, then our reality is true to us, that there's not one true reality. And I don't, I don't know that I believe that. But what I mean in the sense of using this term, perception versus reality, is this. Yes, all of us will experience things, and we perceive those differently than sometimes how the reality is. I'm going to kind of draw this for you to make it simple. Perception, reality, and there's kind of this, this gap or this tension between what we feel and what we think and then what actually may be going on. And so I want to give you guys a few examples today of maybe some everyday ideas of perception versus reality. Take a guy, he's 20 years old, he's single, he's ready to mingle, and uh, he, he's, he's always got his eye out looking for that special lady. Well, he's on his way into a grocery store. And he sees this beautiful young woman about the same age. She's on her way out and she's pushing an empty cart and she has her groceries in hand already. And she waves real big and says hi and then she hands the cart off to him. So this encounter has taken place. So he goes his way and he has the perception, this girl's into me. Or, and he's already plotting how can, he can loop back around to somehow cross paths with her so he can get her number or whatever it would be. That's his perception of the situation. Well, we all know the reality is this. She had already took her stuff out of her cart. She was just too lazy to put it back up. She's this guy, just, hey, Ellie, you know, gave it to him. And so she's probably already forgot the situation that just took place. That's the reality of it. So perception, reality. Another example, referring back to my son, Gavin, three years old, the prime age that you're learning how to share and how to play nice with others. And so that's an active thing that we are working on right now. And so a lot of times I have to correct him. It's it's pretty much a daily thing lately. And so whether I have to put him in timeout or take something away, I want him to know that I mean business. And so he'll perceive correction as uh, dad is just not wanting me to have fun or dad's just mad at me. Well, the reality is that dad, that I love him, I want him to know what it means to share, how to play nice with friends, and that there's sometimes consequences when he doesn't do that. I have a few examples, some picture examples of perception and reality. Go ahead and put the first one up. That's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. A, a lot of animals think they're a lot bigger than they actually are. My dad often refers to mom's dog. He's very clear to let you know that it is mom's dog. And KJ has worked his way into many a sermon illustration. He's a Pomeranian. He's a bundle of fur. He's all the dog he can be. But he probably the same thing thinks that he's a lion. And it's just a perception reality thing. Let's look at the next one. We re- I realize we have a lot of um, maybe business owners, entrepreneurs, self-starters, and the pathway to success prior to actually embarking on that path, you know, you think, oh, it's going to be quick, it's going to be easy, it's going to be painless. And then when you get into it, it can be a messy process. There can be ups and downs, there can be setbacks, and it's just a perception versus reality. It's a tension of how we perceive things and the reality of how they are. This next one I relate to very well. Perception and reality. Prior to having Gavin, Katie and I were so excited about bringing home our little bundle to sleep with him in our bed and be cozy with our peaceful little angel. And that went out the window real quick because you quickly find out, especially as they grow, it's not, the reality is not how you perceive it. That's a lot like our reality. In fact, that might even be Katie. No, no, it's not. (laughs) But we have a king-size bed 
And he's three years old, but he still makes his way into our bed as much as he can. It doesn't matter if he had a nap or not, what time we put, to, put him to bed. You can almost count that by three in the morning, he's going to be in there. And we're just so exhausted by that point that we're just like, whatever. And so we have this king bed, but yet there's like four foot gap in between us because he's all sprawled out. His arms in my side, his legs on her face. Our pillows are all over the place. I'm 6'2", and yet I'm in the fetal position hanging on the edge of a, <laughs> of a king bed. And it's another one of those things. She's like, why? It's kind of an I told you so. Why, why do you just sit there and lay there? He's, you know, you can't pick him up and move him, but I just, I'm so used to just hanging on for dear life. Perception and reality. And perception, actually, I had one other example I wanted to use. Organic eating is another example of perception and reality. Okay, it's a big high dollar market right now in America. And the perception is that by eating organically, that you will be healthier and you'll live longer. Well, the reality is this, whether you eat horrible or you eat organic, we're still all going to die. The only difference, no, that's not even the punchline. The only, the difference is this, those who eat organically die with a nasty taste in their mouth. Okay, so maybe that one's a stretch, but y'all get what I'm trying to say, this tension between perception and reality. And I believe that our perception can be affected by a lot of things. It can be affected by our circumstances, our experiences, our emotions. A lot of things can play into how we perceive something that is happening in our life. But the biggest thing that determines our perception is what we can observe, the things that we can see. And you may have heard that discontent comes by comparison. No one is more aware of your situation than you are. You know the hardships you're facing. You, you're the one who knows your marriage is falling apart or you're waiting on a, what could be a bad call from the doctor. The bills are piling up. The kids are rebelling. Whatever it is that you're facing, you're fully aware of that. You think you're the only one going through it. And then you compare to the situations of those around you based on what you observe, what you perceive, and you think, oh, they've got it so much better than me. Well, I've heard that as comparing your behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel. Comparing your behind the scenes to their highlight reel. You're, you have a, re, a perception based on what you observe when the reality, they may be in the same situation you are or even worse. And so we can't compare. We can't allow our perception or ideas of things to be um, formed simply by what we observe. And I believe that the things of God are no exception to perception versus reality. If anything, they are a perfect thing to look at to kind of study the tension between how we perceive things and then God's reality. Why? Because we are finite and God is infinite. We are natural. He is supernatural. We have limited resources and he created everything. We have limited knowledge. He is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's everywhere present. There's the revealed part of his will that we can see through his word. And then there's the part that he doesn't reveal. And, and we struggle with the fact, why won't God just spell this out for me? There's a lot of things that can make it easy to understand that when it comes to the things of God, a lot of times there's this gap or this tension between how we perceive things and then the reality and the perfection and the fullness of how God really is. And if we get so focused on things in the natural will miss the reality of who he is. And when we get so focused through our natural scope, our view, our perception, this is what happens. Rather than just giving him our need, we end up coming up with the solution. We come up with our idea of what should happen, what the quick fix is. And so rather than just say, God, I give you this need. I don't know what to do, but I know that you do. Rather than do that, so often we're like, God, make this happen. Or, God, I really want this to happen in this situation. And we're trying to tell God how he's going to fix it. Rather than to say, God, I give you this need, and I trust that the reality of your provision is perfect. That your timing is perfect. And so, 
Today, we are going to relate perception and reality directly to the provision of God. Because how many of y'all are believing for something? How many of y'all have needs and desires and areas where you are trusting for God's provision to come alive in your life? We have needs, and we, and we stand on His promises, and we have to focus on the fact that His solutions, His ways, His reality is so much greater than maybe our natural perception. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Proverbs 19.21 says that you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. It doesn't say that your perception will prevail, your idea will prevail. It says the Lord's purpose, his will, his provision, the reality of how perfect he is, that's what will prevail. And so I want to lay down my purpose. I don't know about y'all. Whatever my agenda or my idea would be, I want to get to the place where I'm comfortable and confident to say, you know what, God, I give it to you. Your purpose prevail in my life. Amen? And, and understand this, a lot of times with the tension between perception and reality, in some things, the reality is inferior. For instance, the guy who thinks that girl was into him and really she was just dishing off her card on him. The, the reality was a letdown compared to the perception. Uh, Katie and I sleeping with Gavin, we're like, oh, it's going to be so cozy. No, it's really not. The, the reality was a letdown compared to our perception. But with the things of God, the reality will always far surpass your perception of what you think is going on or, or what should happen. His, his reality is greater. It is superior to our perception. So I want to walk through a few... Uh, scriptures. Actually, are you guys here? You alive? You breathing? Okay. If, if you have breath in your lungs and, and you're here today, God's not done with you. I want you to know that he's got a plan and a purpose. And so whatever you're facing, whatever you walked in here with today, just tune in with me for this next little bit of time and just see how this can relate to your life. Because I promise God wants to speak something to you. We're going to look at some promises and some ideas that maybe we've heard, maybe we've um, thought we understood and maybe it's really just our natural perception. And I want to show you God's reality in regards to these things. If you have your Bibles, open with, uh, with me to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. And this is one of my favorite chapters of Scripture. It's full of God's promises. And I love it because Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. And his circumstances have been awful. Many believe he wrote this very piece of Scripture from behind uh, prison walls. His, his situation was horrible, but yet his perspective was great. His outlook, his, his view of God's faithfulness and provision was great. And so he's encouraging the church in that. And if you look at verse 13, it says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So a lot of times our perception is we read that, and we look at just that verse alone, and there may be something we want in the natural, something we're trying to make happen, without ever stopping to think, is this God's will? Is this what God wants right now? And we think by saying, I can do it because he'll give me the strength that will somehow trick him into letting us do it. But I want to back up and look at verses 11 and 12. And Paul says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Then he says, for I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. What he's saying is, I've, I've been on the peak and I've been in the valley. I've been well fed and I've starved. I had everything and I've had nothing. But yet I know I can make it through anything because Christ will give me the strength. And his perspective, his trust is based on past faithfulness. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're facing, know that you can victoriously walk through it because he will give you the strength to do so. And he's brought you to this point today. That is the reality of this promise. Another one that can be... Uh, 
is similar in the sense that we sometimes use it for our advantages. Jesus said in the New Testament, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So in the same way, a lot of times we let our prayers become these warped attempts to somehow uh, manipulate God into hooking us up. Everyone's like, oh, I've never done that. I mean, come on, let's be honest. I've done that in my life where there was something in the natural. I'm like, oh, I have to have it. So this has to happen. And I'm not praying to God, God, show me your will. Is this what you would want? I'm just so focused. I need this. And, but if I pray in Jesus' name, he'll make it happen. But to pray in Jesus' name really means this. It means to pray in alignment with his heart, his desires, his hopes, his plans, his will. And you say, well, how do I know that, those things? How, how do I understand that? And this is how you do it. You pray his scriptures over your life. His reality is so alive in scriptures. Whenever you are struggling with your perception and your ideas of what should be happening, look to the scriptures and pray them over your life. And when it comes to being able to pray in Jesus' name and pray his will into existence, and when it comes to facing situations and confidently saying, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me, what's our basis? Our basis is trust. We have to get to a place where we have complete, unwavering trust in him. I want to look at another promise. It's said different ways throughout Scripture, but we're going to look at how it's said in Philippians 4 again. Um, the, the simple idea is this, that my God shall supply all my needs. How many of y'all has God provided all your needs? Time and again. And God will provide our needs. He is not just a promise maker. He's a promise keeper. He will meet your needs, and he can do it in ways that will blow your mind. But a lot of times we get so focused on something we're believing for, a need that we're waiting to have met, and it's almost like, all right, God, I'm waiting. And then we just kick back and the lazy boy, like, and they're just waiting on him. But what are we doing in the natural? What, what are we doing on our part to show that we trust him and to show that, that we are willing to uh, pour into this as much as we're expecting to receive? Philippians 4.19 kind of, kind of clears this up. Paul says, the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, it's important to understand that Philippians 4, the emphasis of this letter is on obedience to God and service to others. And so the church of Philippi, they have supplied Paul well uh, with gifts and with things that were able to equip him to spread the gospel. It aided in the service of the gospel. And he's telling them, because you have taken care of me, surely God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and his glory. There's no limit to what he can do. Because you have done so, God is going to meet your needs. And so we need to realize that in life, we are not called to live a life that's about ourselves. We're not to be selfish people who just accumulate and focus on what we want and what we need. But we need to live a generous life. Pastor Sean talked about that. To live generously. Just because you're facing hard circumstances uh, does not mean that you are not allowed. Uh, that, that doesn't negate the fact that you have a responsibility to live generously. Your situation may be dire, but we still have a responsibility to be obedient and to give in the tithe. We still have a responsibility to notice those around us who may be going through things. And it could be a situation worse than us. And to ask yourself, what can I do to make a difference? How can I live generously and impact that person? So the reality is this. God assumes full responsibility for our needs when we obey him. He He assumes full responsibility for our needs when we obey him. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Generosity is key to obedience. And obedience is key to provision. Generosity is key to obedience. And obedience 
is key to provision. If we want to unlock the keys to God's provision, we've got a part to play. We've got to be obedient. And how do we live a life of obedience? We live a life of generosity. That's not just about ourselves. God is generous to those who are generous. But again, the common thread, what it comes back to is trust. Do we trust him or not? Regardless of your situation, regardless of how hard it is, do you still trust him enough to say, okay, I don't know how this bill is going to get paid or I don't know how we're going to eat here, but I trust God enough to live generously and to meet needs where I can and watch how he pours himself out in my situation. We have to have trust enough to live generously. I believe oftentimes what will block provision in our life is our inability to trust. When we don't trust, it blocks provision. And I'm not saying that God won't provide But what I'm saying is that when we look at things through our narrow, limited, natural perception, it's not that the provision isn't there, but it's that we miss what's right in front of us. You know what I'm saying? It's not that God didn't provide. He's at work actively. But we're so focused on our natural perception of what we think should be happening or how that need should be met that we miss, wow, God is providing right here. A perfect example was the children of Israel. They're in the wilderness and they're hungry, and, but yet they're not trusting God to provide food for them. They're, they're doubting God's ability to show up. But yet God still shows up. He brings down manna, bread from heaven. So the, the, the same God, the God of more than enough, the God who can meet your needs in ways that you couldn't even come up with. He has bread fall from heaven, manna. And then they get tired of it. They grow spoiled and they complain. And so that's a perfect example of God's providing and he's doing it in an amazing way. But yet they're so focused on what they want and how they view it that they're missing this supernatural provision that God is working in their lives. So don't miss that provision. Don't let an inability to trust block you from seeing the things, that, seeing the ways that God is providing right now in your life. I want to share a story with you. Once there was a poor Christian widow who lived next door to an atheist. She didn't have much, but she trusted God and she prayed to him daily. Every day when the lady prayed, the atheist guy could hear her. He thought to himself, she sure is crazy praying all the time like that. Doesn't she know that there is no God? Many times while she was praying, he would go to her house and harass her, saying, lady, why do you pray all the time? Don't you know there is no God? But she kept on praying. One day she ran out of groceries. As usual, she was praying to the Lord, explaining her situation and thanking for him that he was going to provide. As usual, the atheist heard her praying and thought to himself, huh, I'm going to fix her. He went to the grocery store, bought a whole bunch of groceries, took them to her house, dropped them off on the front porch, rang the doorbell, and then hid in the bushes to see what she would do. When she opened the door and saw the groceries, she began to praise the Lord with all her heart, jumping, singing, and shouting. The atheist then jumped out of the bushes and told her, Ha! You crazy old lady! God didn't buy you those groceries. I bought those groceries. Suddenly she shouted and began running down the street and praising the Lord. The atheist chased after her, and when he finally caught her, he asked her what her problem was. She said, I knew the Lord would provide with me with some groceries. I just didn't know he was going to make the devil pay for it. <clears throat> so the, the point is this. If God can use a, uh, an atheist who's trying to prove to some old lady that there's no God to meet her needs, he can, he's pretty creative. I, th- I think he's capable of meeting our needs. So don't miss his provision at work right around you, just because it may not line up with what you're expecting in the natural. Amen? It's been said that if, someone's gotta, if someone wants help, they've got to help themselves. Someone wants help, they've got to help themselves. But I believe in, in God's kingdom, it's a little different. Yeah, we have responsibilities in the natural. We have things that we need to do in ways that we're supposed to live and to be stewards of what he's given us and to trust him. But God helps those who turn to him. 
He's not saying help yourself. He's saying turn to me, run to me. I will help you. I will provide for you. And so we have that tendency to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, come up with everything as if it depended on our ability, our finances, our timetable. Well, it doesn't have to do with any of that. We just have to get to the place where we turn and we run to him and we trust him. And so are we trusting ourselves or are we trusting him? Are we trusting our natural perception or are we trusting his perfect reality, the fullness of his provision? And I think in order to get to a place of complete trust, we need to understand his divine providence. And I want to share a word with you. The word is pronoia, and it's Greek for provision. And what it really describes is this. It's divine forethought, providential care, and intervention. Divine forethought, providential care, and intervention. And so when you break that down, Take the divine part out of it. Yeah, he's God, he's divine, we're not. But just even forethought. We, we barely, we can barely, we don't know what's going to happen after service, but he's able to look into the future and he knows everything you're going to face. He has foreknowledge. And, and so the needs that you're facing now, of course he's aware of them because he knows the ones that you have yet to even be made known. He has divine forethought. He has providential care. Providence, what does that refer to? Again, it's his divine nature, his ability to provide as only he can. But the part I like the best is that intervention. Intervention. Romans 8.26 is that when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit will intercede on our behalf. When you don't know what to pray, the Spirit will intercede on your behalf. Well, I believe in the same way, when we don't know what to do, He'll intervene on our behalf. He'll intervene on your behalf. So many of us, we're in these situations where we can't see the light of day. We're so clouded by all the, the, the negative aspects and we're just lost in worry. And so how are we able to intervene in something that we're just caught in the middle of the storm? But he's able to look at that and he's able to step in and intervene and make it work together. He knows what's best for our life. He knows our needs and he's able to meet them. Romans 8.28 says that he'll work all things out for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. He can work everything together, even a mess that you created, even circumstances that are ugly, and it seems like there's no way out. He can work those things together for good for those who are called according to whose purpose? His purpose. Who are called according to his purpose. Not my purpose, not your idea of what should happen, not our perception, but his purpose purpose, his reality. Let me read that again. The good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, his reality. We have to trust in his perfect reality, not our natural perception. So getting to this common thread, getting to this place of complete trust. Well, how do you do it? How how do I get to a place where I'm just able to trust unwaveringly? And I don't, I don't believe it'll ever be simple, but I believe there's two steps that we can take that will help us get to a place of complete trust. And the first one is this, is that we surrender. Say surrender. Get to a place of surrender. And you say, really, it's just that simple. You're telling me that I need to surrender. And yeah, I, I am. A lot of times surrender has maybe a negative connotation Uh, People look at it as quitting or giving up or or a coward's move. But I believe it's beautiful in this sense. When we're facing something horrible, we have the weight of the world on our shoulders. God's not expecting us to to figure out the way out. He's not expecting us to come up with what the fix is. He's not expecting us to make it all happen on our own. But he's just asking us to turn to him. It's surrender. It's coming to the end of yourself. It's saying, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to make it out of this, but it's okay. I lay it down and I turn to you. I trust you because your ways and your reality and your provision are perfect. 
And every day, each and every one of us, we have a choice. We get up and we start our day and we have a choice. We can choose to worry or we can choose to trust. Worry or trust. So many things in our life come down to how we answer that choice. Worry or trust. And despite our best efforts, so many of us get up and we get thinking about our day. We get thinking about what happened yesterday. We get thinking about what's on our to-do list for today. And before we know it, we're overanalyzing. We're obsessing about the details. We're playing out scenarios in our head. And we're in the sick cycle of worry. Forget trust. We're, we're, we're beyond that. Now we've already made our choice and we're so lost and we torture ourselves. We do it to ourselves. And then that worry becomes anxiety and anxiety and depression. And it manifests itself uh, physically in your life. And so many things that we face, so many symptoms or ailments, I believe the root is stress. And the root of that is really just us choosing to worry. Where we're throwing our peace out the window. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now I'm going to read that again, and I'm going to insert perception and reality. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own perception. Seek his reality, his provision, and all you do, and he will show you which path to take. And worry is such a waste because I believe 95% of it is, is future-related. We spend our time thinking about things down the road that may never happen, worrying about the future. And the majority of that is probably never going to happen. Rick Warren says that worry is a down payment on a problem we're likely never going to have. I've also heard it say that fear of the future is a waste of the present. It's like taking that gift of peace that God has given us and just giving it over to the enemy and embracing worry and negativity. And we do it to ourselves. It's this cycle. And, and I believe the devil has perfectly planned it that way. And we have to choose to trust. And in order to do so, we're going to have to shift our perspective. We're going to have to shift our outlook where we're not always worrying about the future, but we're focusing on the now where we're not worrying about ourselves, but we're focusing on the goodness of God, where we're not worrying about all the things that could go wrong, but we're looking at the things that are going to go right. Amen? Amen. Matthew 6, 34 says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to read that again, and I'm going to insert perception and reality. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's reality, God's provision, which exceeds anything we can perceive. And His peace will guard your heart and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Stop carrying things you weren't meant to carry. Stop trying to figure out things that He doesn't expect you to have the solutions to. Give Him your worries. Choose to trust, but you've got to surrender your perception to His reality. The second thing that we need to do in getting to a place of complete trust is to be intentional. Say, be intentional. We have to be intentional. And you say, be intentional about what? It just makes sense that we have to be intentional about the trust that we place in God. If we're expecting him to pursue us with his provision, if we're expecting him to pursue us and meet our needs, then we need to be intentional about pursuing him. 
We need to realize that we have a part to play in the natural. Not all the work is on God. He'll do the heavy lifting, but we need to extend ourselves to him and we have a responsibility to pursue him intentionally. Matthew 6, 31 through 33 says, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Let's hold right there. He knows our needs. He knows my needs. He knows your needs. He knows what we've been going through. Yeah, God, God knows what we're going through. He knows even more than we're aware. He knows our needs. Reading on, it says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. So he says right there, I know your needs. And he goes on to say, I'll meet your needs. Just seek me in all you do. Seek me above all else. It's pretty simple. It's right there. We got, we've got to be intentional. How do we seek the kingdom of God? Get planted in a local church. If you're not a part of this church, you have another church, wherever it is, find a good church. We would love to have you uh, call Meadowbrook home, but get planted in a local church. Jesus' plan A for the world is a healthy local church. Pray hard. Study the scriptures. Worship him. And I don't just mean show up and sing songs and lift your hands. That is a beautiful outlet. That is a beautiful way that we can come together corporately as one body and to worship. But really, you have to understand worship is a lifestyle. And worship really is a response to God for what he's done in our lives. And so we can worship him in so many areas. Take time by yourself to get on your face and worship him. Listen to, to worship songs in your car and worship him that way. Realize that what you do for a living, what you've been created to do, you can worship him in that by doing it for the glory of God. Make worship a lifestyle. And once you get that concept and then we show up together as one body and we've been living out this lifestyle of worship, that takes our times of corporate worship up a whole nother level. So be intentional, be wor- uh, worship, get planted, pray, study, get in a small group with believers. You know, we're pushing small groups big because we believe in them. We believe that life change happens in the context of relationships. And, and Pastor Sean's not just blowing hot air. We have countless stories uh, of, of people who have experienced life change and are experiencing fruit because of what God is doing in the relationships of these small groups here at our church. Serve, get involved volunteering, do something beyond yourself. I talked about being generous. Well, let's be generous with our time. And with our talent, let's be generous with our treasure and give generously. Take God at his word and be obedient in the tithe and be obedient to meet needs of those who are less fortunate than us. These are all ways that we can seek the kingdom of God above all else. Really, he's just saying, don't make it all about you, but respond to me. Be intentional towards me and I will meet your needs. I know what they are. I'll take care of you. So it comes down to that. We want to get to a place of complete trust. We've got to surrender our perception to his reality and we have to be intentional about pursuing him. I want to close with this. Revelation a lot of times is looked at as the end times book. It's just about the apocalypse or the tribulation or the rapture and dragons and multi-headed things. And, and people get all freaked out by Revelation. But I believe Revelation is a beautiful book. And I also believe that it is a book that talks about two realities. And John is writing and he's essentially saying, here's what's going to be going on in the world. Here's some of the things that will be happening. Here's what you'll be facing. And all of us in our own, we're, we're facing a tribulation of sorts individually, whatever you're going through. You're facing some things. And John's saying, here's what will be going on. But you don't have to let these horrible things dictate your response to God. Just because it seems hopeless, that doesn't mean you let that dictate how you respond to God. Because you're in the world, you're not of the world. We're in it, but we're only here for a while. God is going to come back and he's going to renew all of this. 
We're in it, but we're not of it. Jesus said, while you're on earth, there's going to be trials and tribulations. There would be things we face. But he doesn't put a period there and then say, good luck. He says, take heart. I've overcome the world. We follow the one. We serve the one who has overcome those trials, who's overcome those tribulations, who's overcome the things that we may face. And in him, we have perfect, timely, complete provision. That is the reality of God. I want to leave you with this one last thing. If you're taking notes and you walk out of here with anything today, I want you to write this down. Don't let your situation dictate your perception of who God is. Let the reality of who God is dictate your situation. Don't let your situation dictate your perception of who God is, but let the reality of who God is dictate your situation. Did y'all get anything at all out of this this morning?